0: This podcast has been made possible through funding from Fans for Diversity.
1: Hello, hello, hello everybody and welcome to the FEH podcast. This is yet another episode, I think we're on episode 20 of the FEH podcast now, so really uh, racking up those episodes. We are going to switch him back from the Youth Panel Roundtable back to our main show. Um, and on this episode, we are going to be talking a little bit about the opening few weeks of the football season, but more specifically the repeated homophobic incidents have happened. You know, I could just off the top of my head, I can count six or seven incidents have happened since the start of the football season um, on social media, in stadiums all across the all across the country. Um, but here to discuss that with me, um, I've got two guests from LGBTQI fan groups across the country. Um, would you both like to introduce yourself? We'll start with Tracy if you just want to introduce yourself, um, your name and what it is you do.
0: I'm Tracy Brown, and I am the co-chair of Chelsea Pride, the LGBTQ supporters group for Chelsea Football Club.
2: And Paul? I'm Paul Aman, I'm the founder and chair of Cop Out, the LGBT plus group for LFC.
1: And obviously, as I touched on Josh before, we will be diving into a bunch of stuff regarding a specific incident that happened a couple of weeks ago at Carroll's Road, as well as a number of other incidents across the country, across the footballing world since the season started. But first, we always like to start a podcast by talking to our guests about their earliest football memories. Um, so let's talk a bit about that to start us off. Start a nice note and then we'll get into the less nice stuff. But Tracy, earliest football memories, favourite football memories, things that made you fall in love with the sport?
0: God, oh dear, start showing my age. Um, I suppose, very earliest memory, my, my father was diehard Arsenal. Um, he was born in the area, and I'm an only child. So he was gutted when I decided that red really wasn't my colour. Sorry, Paul, I know Liverpool are also red, um, but it really wasn't my colour. And my dad had to take me to Stamford Bridge when I was really young so I could actually go and watch my team because he was a good dad. Um, So actually, yeah, to be quite honest, it was back in the day where we didn't have, as everyone calls it, rich owners. And uh, it was a battle every week. And the building did not look like it does now. Um, And I remember going week in, week out when there was half a ground there and the stands were being built. Um, But I think my biggest, one of my favourite ever games when I was mostly a teenager, was actually against, uh, against Liverpool. It was an FA Cup game. It was winter. I think it was the fifth round. Liverpool were 2-0 up at half time and we brought on Mark Hughes and Viali, and we won 4-2. And I still have it on videotape because I recorded it and I still have it. <laughs> so that's most probably one of and It just happens I have Paul on the recording as well as I'm saying it. That's mostly one of my, my favourite games. It was freezing. I didn't even have a jacket that day. It was all worth it in the end, though.
2: But, Tracy, do you have a device to even play that tape on? It
0: doesn't matter. I'm still keeping it. We won, and I have a half-time. We have Hanson going, Liverpool amazing, Chelsea didn't even turn up, and at the end, he's saying the absolute opposite. For that alone is priceless I'm never getting rid of it.
2: Fantastic. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it
1: was the same to you, Paul, uh, the earliest favourite, what made you fall in love with football?
2: Um, I was a, quite a late comer to being an active football fan in some senses. I was an armchair fan as a kid. My dad was a Liverpool fan and I was a good kid and I followed my dad's good example. <laughs> uh, you know, So for me it was very much following my dad's footsteps. I'd watched the game on the telly and then When I moved to Liverpool uh, to work in 2003, got my first chance to watch the match and I was lucky enough to go on a European night. I think we were playing Marseille and Anfield on a European night under the lights is absolutely electric. I won't talk about Chelsea and playing them at Anfield uh, in European competitions because they get a little upset about apparent goals that they... Don't feel the goals, etc. But my favourite um, instance at Anfield was actually an instance of chanting. I think Tracy might actually like this one an awful lot. And it speaks of the wit of and speed of opportunity, of chance to really take hold. And we were playing Arsenal. And inside of 20 minutes, we were walloping them 4 0. It was, you know. I was in the Anfield Road the whole stand was bouncing and we started chanting your Tottenham in disguise
0: Beautiful. <laughs>
2: and it was just sublime and it's an example of you know the quick wit and fun of what football chanting can be about and how actually if you are going to have a pop at the opposition you know you do it in a way that gets under the skin but isn't you know Neg- in negative negative and hate-filled in the in the way that we've got to deal with some other stuff personally in the main i just prefer chanting and singing our songs about our players and our team because i think we've got more than enough to sing about and i'm sure chelsea fans would feel the same and
1: i think as, as, as point that you were coming off of that is it, who would know you could have a a good banterous chant without being wildly offensive I mean it is wildly offensive in a way I guess being spurs in disguise but in a a much more more pleasant way and that does draw us very nicely on to kind of the first kind of topic discussion obviously we've got Chelsea fan we've got Liverpool fans so people can kind of put two and two together and say the main incident that we will be talking about I mean of course this isn't that you know we can't just go on and act like this is an incident that's just happened once either We've got to establish early on that this is a regular occurrence, as Tracy, I know you will be able to attest to, at Chelsea games on a very regular occasion. Is it how how regular is it? Is it any every fan base that comes to Stamford Bridge, or is it just a bigger bigger group? Or what is it? How regular is this?
0: I wouldn't say it's every single game. Our opening game of the season, we played Palace. I was sat in the shed end. So obviously I'm in, the same, I'm in the same end as the away fans. Didn't hear them sing it once. Unfortunately, Northern teams do tend to sing it more. I have no idea why, but they generally do. I've said Northern teams. So I'm not picking any team in, you know, picking any team out there. They do tend to sing it more. I tend to notice it a lot more as well when we have cup games. So say you're playing anyone in a lower division. It seems to be that go-to song. Certain teams are worse than others Um, Sometimes you even hear it Coming to the ground Or leaving the ground as well Again depending on who You are um, playing So yes, cup games you notice it more Northern teams sing it more Don't tend to hear it from Very rarely hear it from People like Arsenal Spurs fans Don't tend to hear it much from them To be fair Um, But it only takes one or two And if one or two are loud enough, that normally starts everyone else off. Um, And, you know, we've got a long way to go before we can stop that. Or do think about those one or two that start this off and the education that goes with it. So it varies throughout the season. It's there every year, though. This is something that I've, since I've been going to football, since I've been going to Stamford Bridge, it's been there my whole entire life. So from... I first walked into Sanford Bridge when I was eight, nine years old, and I've heard it since. So it's definitely not an Abramovich thing, like uh, some people think it is, because it really isn't, um, and it's extremely offensive.
1: Yeah, I think it's worth noting because I do, I've seen a whole lot of excuses for it in that kind of last couple of weeks, especially, and especially, you know, the one, yeah, like, the one, obviously you've seen an excuse for it before, when it originally. I think the first time I heard of the chant getting any kind of mainstream attention was a couple of years ago when it was Man United there. And I remember that getting a fair bit of attention um, media-wise. Um, and that's the first time I'd actually ever heard the chant and then heard what the actual meaning was as someone who, you know, I'm a Cholton fan, I haven't got to play Chelsea in 20 odd years at this point. So we haven't I haven't had many opportunities to hear it. But where I do hear chance and where I have heard chance, especially when I was a teenager going to Brighton away games, then it's a very similar thing there where those a, a similar chance of a similar nature do come up. Yeah. And often it is this just banter excuse thrown around. But the the thing, yeah, the excuses you referenced there that I've heard recently in the last couple of weeks is this, oh, I thought it was because they spend loads of money. And I, I just I don't understand that I don't even understand where the logic comes from with that. But Clearly, just to clear it up for anyone who might not, uh, might not know, I don't think a lot of people do not know, but I think it, for those who might be unsure at this point, the chant is 100% homophobic. It started from uh, Chelsea Headhunter, I believe, who was caught with a, a male prostitute or, or rent boy, as the chant goes, and from that moment, it has been chanted in a homophobic manner for the last 30, 40 years or whatever it is at this point. So just to clear that up, before we get into the rest of the conversation, it's not to do
0: with our owner being rich, and um, no. the people who sing it are very uneducated. Yeah.
2: And it's not to do with the loan system, no. or anything like that. It's <laughs> to do with it's to do with using um, the the fact of somebody, you know, the fact of somebody being called a rent boy. Is homophobic. It's a yes. slur. It's used yes. in an in an aggressive, the nasty way. Rewrite. Yeah, you know, really nasty way, and it's to do with the fact that rent boys have gay sex. Rent boys
0: Not are sometimes <laughs> going to sleep with women, which is yeah. also another
2: thing that we. And keep I'm just coming on to that, Tracy. The, <laughs> you know, there is a gigolo who is a male prostitute that sleeps with women, and there is a rent boy who has gay sex with men. And that is why it is a homophobic insult.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I think it's always worth when people go, kind of, oh it's just banter, but like you've got a really, and it's the same thing I've said this, I said this all the way back um, when we did a, what, our What's About a Banter series back in February, Rent Boys were on the chance on there as well as the Brighton chance that come up, and people say like, oh why is, does your boyfriend know you're here so bad? It's like well why do you think it's banter? <sighs> because it's, it's something to pick, on. banter is picking on a weakness, so, to you, someone having a, a man having a boyfriend, first of all, there's assumption there because I'm sure there's loads of people in stand that boyfriends because they're straight women or any other number of things. But the assumption there is that the whole crowd is full of men, first of all, and that make them having a boyfriend makes them gay, and then that's a weakness to pick on. That's what banter is, it's picking on a weakness. So, if you're bantering something, it's because you see it as a weakness, and if you're bantering someone for being gay, then you think that's a weakness, you think that's bad. That's why it's homophobic and not just banter. And I think it's a, it, it's, it, it's annoying to have to go over this constantly, but whenever you talk about it, you feel like you've got to at least put that rhetoric out there, cut off that thing. So I don't want to see any replies to that kind of thing to this podcast. And now we can get into an actual serious debate about what this is all about. Um, But uh, Paul obviously talked about the incident we are referencing in particular this season came when Liverpool visited, Um, Norwich at Carrow Road and obviously aimed specifically towards Billy Gilmore as a Chelsea lone player and for you know I feel feel it a lot whenever I see a Cholton fan be homophobic, racist, any kind of discriminatory behaviour it irks me on another level because of all the work the club does to show that this isn't what this club is about and I don't understand how you can support the club with everything they've done and everything they've done and still hold these values. And I, I feel that Liverpool's a very similar place in just a way, you know, from you'll never walk alone all the way to Jordan Henderson's uh, really fantastic allyship over the last couple of years. It, it's gotta be so disappointing to hear that from a fan base, which you'd hope would be educated to it by this point.
2: It's been, you know, I couldn't, I could almost not believe you know what i heard and what reports i was getting of that chanting because liverpool as you quite rightly say prides itself on values of inclusion as a club and as a fan base as fans we have a a solidarity that is enormously binding we have a an ethos about an injury to one as an injury to all you know we as a city, we're, we're a left-wing city. You know, we, we have that, you know, comradeship about us as a people. And to have some of our number ignoring the repeated asks of cop-outs, of our supporters' trusts, of our club, to not chant that chant because it's homophobic was massively disappointing. Um, I was so saddened when I realised this was happening yet again and it was bringing shame on us quite frankly real disappointment because we're at our best as a club when we're positive as fans and all the rest of it and to go for a nasty cheap chance at a player who was doing his job he's a cracking young lad a really good player he should be admired for his craft you know time was and very often we still do we applaud good play whoever's doing it you know when you get an exceptional talent doing his best in front of you you should be in awe you should be watching it and going we want some of that we want to be doing play like that not coming out with that vile cheap chant we've got so many better things in our songbook than that and i was I was just appalled and I thought we'd you know I, I thought we'd begun to move away from that you know I I heard it at its peak when Fernando Torres returned to Liverpool and that was the moment for me I think it was about 2012 when I looked at me mate Joan and had taken Joan to her first ever match. Joan's an out proud lesbian I've known her for years helped organise Liverpool Pride with her and took her to her first match and she was made up until the point at which it felt like half the cop were chanting that chant and we just looked at each other and it was just appalling and I've said elsewhere it's it's like you've gone from the warmth of you'll never walk alone to suddenly having an ice cold bucket of water thrown over you it's just vile it doesn't hurt the players necessarily but it certainly does hurt our own fans and that's why, amongst the many reasons, that's gotta stop.
1: I think that's yes. a note as well, because another, again, another one of the many excuses in this idea was like, oh well, Billy Gilmore's not even gay. Or like, but that's but that's the whole point, isn't it? Because like there's no openly gay footballers currently yet, or no openly gay footballers in the men's game in the football league, I should specify. Um but these but is still the most commonly form of abuse in football is homophobic abuse that is a status one in three forms of abuse that is seen on social media or in stadiums is homophobic which just goes to show if if there's not even a player out who can is receiving this abuse just how deep the problem goes and you've touched on it there who it affects isn't the player, which is what the aim of the chant is meant to, theoretically is meant to do. That's the idea of chanting something at a player is to put them off, to make them not feel welcome, not feel comfortable, whatever. That's another debate for another day, whether that's, what, what the point of that. But it, the effect it has, and I've touched on the Brighton incident when I was 14, 15, as someone who's come in to terms with their sexuality slowly, that hearing those chants of Bryant automatically told me, right, I'm never going to be out in this sport. I'm never going to be out in this crowd. And, you know, I've got to point where I am now. But at that point, as a 14, 15-year-old kid, I didn't think it would be possible to be openly and my authentic self in football. And I think that's the effect that people have got to realise it's having. It's not anything to do with the players. Players are just like, oh, no. they probably don't even hear it. They're probably so switched on to the game, they don't even hear what's being said. But someone stood next to you in the crowd wearing the same colours as you, or even not even wear, even if it's in the opposite stand wearing different colours too. It doesn't matter. That person is now gone. I do not feel comfortable here, and to be myself, and I think that's really what's got drilled, and how hard it must be for you know Chelsea fans and Brighton fans to hear this on such a regular basis, just for Brighton because of some because re- of their city being such a fantastic inclusive city. And for Chelsea fans because of this strange story from the 80s that's somehow clung on for all these years so and you touched on it there Tracy you've been hearing this since you were eight or nine years old how did that affect you when you started to come to terms with your sexuality and still hearing that?
0: I suppose um, this is a reason to be fair that me and Paul and many other groups like ours exist is because we're consistently going to be fighting this. It's not going away anytime soon. If anything, it's been highlighted. Ice cream van, sorry, outside. Um, it's been highlighted as being worse than ever. From a child's point of view, I suppose I did, when I was very young, I heard the child, but never obviously, as a child, really connected to what it was. I mean, I came out when I was 15, 16. So um, I, was, I was religiously going to football from about 18, 19 years old. So I would go to every single home game, every season. Um, To begin with, maybe even I saw it as banter, to be fair. Um, But as I worked more within my own community and volunteered, which I've done all of my adult life within the community, um, the impact of it stood out more and more and more to me. And what the words meant stood out more and more to me and the effect that it had on my community I felt, and one of the reasons for starting Chelsea Pride up, and that wasn't the first group I started up, I actually started up with a friend of mine, Pratt and Fever, down in Portsmouth. That I helped her set that up before I even did Chelsea Pride. Um, and they have lots of problems down there as well with racism and homophobia, big style. Um, I suppose it, I, I took it all on board, and I took what I was hearing from others on board, and I, then it became a very personal thing to me, because I've had people even say to me, oh, but surely it only affects gay men. So as a lesbian, surely, yeah, it's just banter to you. It doesn't really matter. Really? Oh, so, so apparently because I'm a lesbian, I don't have to care about gay men. All right then, okay, okay. So now we're splitting the community apart, are we? So, you know, whatever happens to be said to lesbians doesn't affect gay men and anything that's said to trans fans. So that doesn't matter because you're a gay woman. It's ridiculous. I've had all of the excuses under the sun thrown at me throughout the years. And I constantly hear, but it can't affect you personally because you're not a gay man. Yes, it can. Because it hurts gay men. So it hurts me. And I am going to stand there and I am going to defend them consistently because you aren't just singing the Chelsea Boy chant to as you say get under a player's skin you're offending every gay fan that isn't just a chelsea fan that is a fan of football in this country and beyond because it affects everybody because no one wants to go to a football game and hear homophobia the same as no one wants to go to a football game and hear racism as paul said we've all got enough songs we can be singing all clubs do I mean, right now we should be just randomly singing consistently with the champions of Europe. Paul knows how that one goes. Um, but you know, it's a it's a constant battle. So for me, um, every knock of negativity against it actually makes my skin just a little bit thicker to fight it even more. Um,
1: yeah, I think it's as you said. Like it's not. There's so much. There's always use of like, oh, we're going to lose all our chance. And I was like, well, no. There's like literally like I've like I've been to I don't know how many games in my life, how many home games, away games, and I can count on the number of my like on my hand the number of actual offensive chance we use, and then I probably couldn't even begin to count the number of empowering chants we use, or you know, actual intelligent witty banter. That we use, not just straight offensive stuff. There's so much you can chant, and you know I've got a whole load of issues with a certain number of chants within Cheltenham that are misogynistic. That's the biggest problem we have at the moment: is the misogynist, misogynistic nature of a lot of our chants, which I'm sure isn't just a problem at Cheltenham. I'm sure it's a problem that goes way beyond. But that, and I try. Obviously, it's hard to an extent. But I try. If I, if some person standing next to me is chanting that. Then I'll turn around and ask them why, and you know, it's not gonna—it's not always going to end well. Some people are going to tell me I'm being this, being that, but some people don't even have that second thought about why they're chanting, what they're chanting. They hear it from the back of the stand where the the ultras are, where the you know whoever it is, whoever starts a chant you know, back there, they hear that and they just start chanting without even thinking about what they're actually chanting, and it, that it, that almost pack mentality is something that we touched on a lot during the what's the matter of banner series how, how yeah it's how do you reach out to each one of those people and actually make that obviously social media is a great way of doing it but it's such a tough task and also just from being an lgbt fan already feeling a little bit uncomfortable in that environment to then try and confront it is so tough
2: Every single Liverpool fan that I have discussed this with in person has got it. Yeah. yeah. The penny drops pretty quickly. And I don't get the water battery. I don't get the, but they're singing worse songs else than, no, they get that it's wrong. I happen to be mixed race, but because I'm quite light-skinned, I get to hear an awful lot of racism that wouldn't necessarily be said in front of people with darker skin than myself, and I still challenge that, and I have many great white friends who still challenge racism, and now I'm getting many, many more straight, cisgendered people who are choosing to tackle LGBT plus phobia, and that's fantastic, but it is about winning hearts and minds and educating and making sure that people realize that this isn't just oh it's just a bit of a new fad for us to pick on something and you know chip away in a cancel culture way this isn't about cancel culture this isn't about trying to get rid of a culture that is a fantastic one at its best we go to football because we love the football we go to football because we love the atmosphere and to have allies stand up is part of the strongest way in which we can get change, in which we can improve things. I said earlier that Liverpool had begun to hear less of that chant and I think as a consequence of the club retweeting out's tweet condemning that homophobic chanting at Norwich and then going on to afford me the privilege of sitting down with Jürgen, of meeting Virgil, Jordan Henderson and getting the teams and the managers and the clubs wholehearted support in getting rid of this champ from Anfield and beyond where wherever we travel, that that will be a massive watershed moment. It's something that is perhaps very much long overdue but it's happening. And if this actually acts as a catalyst for change in other fan bases, fantastic. Because it's not the Chelsea fan base who are the only ones affected. I've sat there and felt disgusted to the pit of my stomach when I heard, you know, half the cops singing it. And I don't want any other LGBT plus fan to go through that. And I want our allies to be proper... Bystanders who are active, who do something about it when they hear it, and they call it out.
1: Yeah. I just say, <laughs> so really, and I think as much as it's been really disappointing to have that, I think the response from Liverpool as a club, I have found to be uh, what I what I would, if any club comes to me or any club comes to me and goes, okay, what do we do about this then? I think you point to Liverpool and their reaction to the uh, to the chant as you know a light of what clubs should be doing in the face of this kind of thing because not only you know tweeting it and whatever that's a good start but then as you say getting Jurgen involved in terms of him talking to you and not, and it's not even just because I know a lot of people do the kind of uh, uh, they'll get asked a question at a press conference and they'll ask they'll say a very nice sentiment and you whatever else. But the difference between that and you being able to have that conversation directly with him is huge because it's an LGBT person representing the community talking to him and being able to actually put in the words that you want to put in. So I again like and Tracy, I know you're doing a lot of work in terms of pushing and trying to get this uh, this chant recognized for what it is really. So just talk to me a, bit, a little bit about the work that you've been doing. And it's been going on for long before this as well. I know, I know you literally reached out to the FEH Youth uh, page, what, like a week before the chant actually reared its over the head again? Yeah. So, so yeah. it's ever topical, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, the timing, in a sense, couldn't have been better that we heard something so bad. Um, myself and Chris of Proud Lily Whites, have um, been working on a campaign um to take to the cps um to say it's about time you recognize this chant for what it is and not for a dictionary version which is you know which is as, as people read doesn't show as being homophobic and that's the problem the cps have to look at this from a person point of view we as a community find that specific chant homophobic and it needs to be treated as such so we have been in contact with with lots of different organizations as well as all the lgbtq um, supporters groups and as soon as we started running the campaign i went directly to chelsea football club i had a conversation well i emailed bruce buck at seven in the morning he rung me at two minutes past seven because the man never sleeps Um, and he was like okay Chelsea do a statement to give directly to the CPS because we want to be seen that we've had enough of hearing this we've had enough of it affecting our LGBTQ supporting community that they have to hear this chant and obviously yes it predominantly is sung at us as a team but as I said earlier it affects the whole entire LGBTQ supporting fan base all of us we're all affected by it regardless of what colour shirt you support and what level, be it the Premier League, EFL or grassroots. If you're watching television, often you can hear the chant, even on TV. Um, so, yes, we're in the midst of doing that. We've handed over a large number of statements, including one directly from Chelsea Football Club. Um, and now it the ball's back in and will be back in the, in the hands of the CPS. What we do want is a meeting directly with them so they can sit sit down with us and um, explain from their point of view why they don't see it as homophobic. We tell them from the point of view of the community why we do and then see going forward if there's any way that we can get those laws changed. Education's gonna be the key. You can then educate fans on the back that the law has changed. Clubs, the FA, all have more powers to actually start removing fans limiting away fans if more and more people try i don't have a problem with you if a club consistently does this when they're away but then okay your numbers are cut on how many away fans you can take you've got to educate yourselves and if fans can't be educated and they continue to do this and it isn't just it's not just homophobia i my, my point of view is the same with racism or any form of discrimination if someone consistently does this you try educating them and they still consistently do this they have no right to be in a football ground period. I love football and I love the fun bands you can have. And I love singing songs and I love the atmosphere. It's why I've been going since a kid. There's, we we all have enough to go on when we go to our own grounds. Even when we go away, there's always, there's plenty of things you can sing at a team which is not gonna be uh, discrimination towards anyone. I want to leave a football ground more importantly, talking about the game and not oh my god did you hear this or turning the news on when i get home the sports news are going oh that did not happen at whatever club i i want to be able to go that was a good game bad game indifferent and i want to actually walk away talking about the stats of a football game not oh the back pages are going to read about this tomorrow oh sky news is going to be talking about the same discrimination oh that player had a really bad game oh my God, you know what his inbox is going to be like. I'm tired of that. And that's why me and Paul and many others do what we do consistently, week in, week out, in trying to break all forms of discrimination, not just the kind against our own community.
2: And I
1: think that's a key point that's come up so much on this podcast and on so many other occasions, is when you're in one community, you're an ally to the others when you're so as an lgbtqi fan base as i said i think I, said, I mentioned it before we started recording i got home from being abused a couple of weeks ago on twitter for directly opposing people booing the knee and and you know if there's anything that proves my point in in that then they, they've done it they've slapped it right there on the plate for me and i think again the one thing that you know depressed me the one thing that got me about that more than the actual abuse because abuse is part and parcel and abuse is what as LGBTQI people we're all used to throughout our life, it's just, shouldn't be, but it is part and parcel. The thing that always got me was the people justifying it. That's almost worse than the abuse itself. The abuse is from a person who's not very intelligent and all they can think of is to say a certain, they can throw an insult out. The justification of it, trying to use big words and long sentences to, and this other thing I noticed is when a, a straight white man would talk to one of these people who's justifying it, they'll talk respectfully back to them. When me myself or a woman would reply, it was straight away with an insult. And it's just stuff like that which the, the abuse is hard. The abuse is horrible, obviously. None of us want to go through that. But what's worse is justification of it, the mental gymnastics of justifying it and how exhausting that conversation can be where you're going I've been offended by this what else do I need to explain to you beyond that so uh, you know the work that both of you do and loads of support groups around the country is fantastic um, in terms of that and also the allies within those groups is fantastic and the importance of allies as you've mentioned before Paul.
2: I mean it's something which I've been so Absolutely lucky with at Liverpool is an intelligent supporters trust leadership who have backed us all the way and who have had no, you know, that they, they don't they don't give it tuppence credence, some of the water battery and attempts at justification. The you know the impact of homophobia and transphobia, LGBT plus phobia, is as, you know, and I know this from personal experience, it's as damaging as racism. And I am so glad that so many people are empowered to call out racism. And it's one of the reasons I didn't watch football as a kid, because my family wouldn't go to the match when I was a kid, because we would have had the national front in our face I know that because of the decency of the vast majority of fans, that actually football will become a better place for LGBT plus people. What's been really interesting in all the social media responses to the video and the cop-out statement is that the statement elicited more, Immediate justification for why people were um, being, you know, chanting a homophobic chant. They were trying to excuse it left, right, and centre. The sit down chat with Jurgen actually saw far less of that kickback and, more importantly, far more of a show of allyship from loads of different decent fans and that for me is really really heartening it it moves us to a point that makes me feel this could be a positive tipping point a real watershed moment of fans growing up a little and realizing the impact of this real negative nasty behavior so fingers crossed you know i hope that the experiences that tracy and i have had to have will not be the experiences of fans going forward.
1: And I think, that, you know, the work that, you know, I think this is really this instance before that, instance since that, unfortunately, as I said, there's been six or seven off the top of my head, I can shout about straight off the start of the bat from, but it, it does highlight why lgbtqi plus supporters groups exist. It explains why the London Unity League and the GFSN exists. It explains why all of this stuff has to happen. Because I I I feel I come from a little bit of privilege in terms of the fact that I can, for the most part, despite being LGBT, can go to the game and feel very, pretty, mostly comfortable. That's a privilege I have. From I don't know what it comes from. Probably helps that I'm a uh, uh, male mal- presenting. It probably helps that I don't. It, you know, there's another thing. So being white huge must hugely help but i've been able to most of the time go to games and enjoy them but there's a whole section i know from being with proud valiants. there's a whole section of proud valiants don't feel the same comfort of going to the games and especially away games i've found is there's a huge problem in terms of people being comfortable going to away games compared to going to the valley so just yeah like from that talking about how important you have found first that you know being ahead creating these LGBT support groups, all sort of benefits you've had from just having this community of people around you as well, whoever wants to go first of that?
2: So the benefits are found in Cop Outs, um, wow, um, realising that there are as many passionate Liverpool LGBT plus fans as there are, um, and the actually the reach into fan families is really quite wonderful i remember carrying a banner around anfield um, ahead of a rainbow laces game and having this old fella come up to us he told us he was in his 80s white haired no stick you know he was proud man that carried on walking and, and you know, you reached out to me, grabbed me by the hand and he said, well done. I'm a grandfather, a father. I've been coming to match all my life. And the work you're doing is going to improve the game for some of my family. It's beautiful. Absolutely brilliant that we've got fans who are realising the worth of the work that we're doing. And allies who are stepping up and being counted and we will make a difference and we are making a difference and we've got trans fans who are now engaging more with us and asking how they can safely come to the ground without being in fear of a baying mob because that's a real deep rooted fear for some trans fans of liverpool and elsewhere i presume and for those fans to realise that they have the potential to go in the match with a bunch of other LGBT plus people, with stewards who will take action, with fellow fans who aren't LGBT plus but who will also choose to take action, that's brilliant. We can't ask for more than actually getting a ground that is a safe space for us as LGBT plus people and the chance to really enjoy the game and enjoy all the positives of fan culture.
0: I completely agree with everything that Paul just said. (laughs) Um, Just from a Chelsea point of view. Um, But one thing I will add is we we, obviously me and Paul are on WhatsApp groups and spend a lot of time speaking to a lot of the other LGBTQ supporters groups. And yes, there's those two 90 minutes a season, or if not in the same league, you're always keeping an eye on other leagues anyway, where we do play against each other. So the banter may go up a level, Um, but we're all there to support each other doing the same thing. We all want to see our community feel, as you just pointed out, safe when going to a football grounds. I want anyone to feel safe. Children, disabled, people of color, gay, lesbian, trans, everyone should walk into a football stadium and feel safe doing so and just be there to enjoy the one thing we all pay to go and see and that is our team play and preferably win. Um, The work we consistently do is just to prove that point. That is it. We want a safe environment. We have the same thing. We have We have people who are trans. I get messages from people who go, I'm a supporter from afar. One day I'd like to be able to walk in there. And I'm like, when you're ready, we'll try and work it that you can sit with us. We'll work out a way around it. We will speak to the club. who have always been fantastic and helpful. We have a great, luckily, a very great relationship with the club from the very top. And that makes a huge difference. And there's obviously... That's the start of a journey. I mean, I've been doing this nearly for five years. This later this year with Chelsea Pride, and it's taken that time to build that rapport and those relationships within a club. And there'll be other groups that are starting now at the very beginning of that journey. And luckily, there's so many of our, our so many of us have been going for so long now. We can all help each other out because it's some. That's where the colours get put aside and the community has to come together. So for me, just like Paul said the importance of it, our allies are huge. We have fantastic allies. When we have, we are the shed now. When anyone thinks of those guys, they just think of die hard Chelsea nuts. And actually I'm in an inclusion group with some of them and they get, now they get picked on online because they actually stand up for people. And of course, not everybody wants that. Some people just like go into a game so they can actually just be abusive to people. Um, and, they're, and they're a massive ally. Because when you look at that sort of group you would not presume they would be an ally and you wouldn't presume they want change. but they want change too. They don't what well, they want to be going to do what we all do, go to a game, enjoy the game, talk about the game, have a pint if that's what you want to do, have several if it makes you feel better. Um, but actually go and enjoy a football match. So for me, it's it's that family, feel no matter what your who or who your family is that we all go and we all enjoy that one thing um together like all teams we have our no to hate campaign at chelsea it's quite i mean no to hate i mean it's quite self-explanatory but apparently we even need to tell our own fans unfortunately what that actually means i'm going to sort of quickly hint on something from yesterday obviously we were away at arsenal we should have won that about 6-0 because Arsenal were dire. Um, if gay gooners are listening to this, sorry, but you were. Um, our fans booed Saka every time he touched the ball. I was disgusted. So yesterday, at half time, I went on Twitter and on an Instagram account and put in a statement out saying, we have plenty to sing about, we're champions of Europe, stop booing Saka. I got called everything under the sun online for saying that. Oh, it's just banter. We're allowed to boo an opposition player. No, no, no. You're booing it because of what he did in an England shirt that you didn't like. Not because he's a... You're not booing the rest of the Arsenal team. Just Saka. We're not stupid. We know why you're doing it. Now, we are the shed also put a statement out. And a good chunk of their fans are the away fans who go to games religiously. And they also said, cut it out. And again, they got barraged with abuse that they're going too soft and they're trying to PC football for for standing up and wanting to make a change. Saka did not deserve that abuse yesterday. The whole Arsenal team deserved abuse because they were rubbish. But one player... Did not deserve to be booed consistently because of what happened. He proudly did what most people wouldn't do as an England player. He picked up a ball and went and took a penalty. I'd ask ask any man in this country if we'd have the balls to do that at Wembley. I'm guaranteeing you most of them would miss, in all fairness. Um, And that's me against my own fans. Not all of my fans, it's that very small few that then make it bad for everybody else. It's not on. Any discrimination of any kind isn't on. And unfortunately, that sort of, for me, wrecked what was a very decent game of football, unless you're you're gay gooners, obviously.
1: It was was a game of football for me, you had Lukaku captain in his fantasy team as well. So I was very happy with that game of football. So was I. Yeah, it's, it's such a good point because, like, it, as I say, it's not just about, and it's not just about direct abuse. It's not just about, you know, the because that's the thing is like, as much as racism is hopefully getting better, it's it's getting a little bit worse at the moment. But hopefully, it will then get better again. Is racism has moved on to the point for the most part, apart from online, it's the subtle things rather than direct abuse in stadiums. Homophobia is still very much direct abuse, but you said had these things of booing the knee and then saying, I'm booing the knee because I don't want a political gesture. Well, why did you sing the National Anthem before every game then? It's just, there's so much justification for these subtle things. And there's literally, the re- as I said, uh, there's literally the reason I got homophobically abused a couple of weeks ago on Twitter was because I called out Trump fans for booing the knee and that that again we want to talk about this first couple of weeks we're so excited to get back to football I wanted after that game it was my first game back at the valley for 18 months however long it's been but the thing that I came away thinking about was the fact that our fans booed the knee and that's the thing that affected me, not the fact that I got to go and meet proud, a lot of Proud valleys for the first time in the pre-match, not the fact that I got to go to the Valley for the first time in however long. It was the fact, not because it was a really boring game and we drew nil-nil and were rubbish, but that's another topic for another day. It was the fact that we moved in, and it's exactly what you said, Trace, it's just, we want to go and just enjoy the game and not, A, feel uncomfortable at, at, at a one level, and they just leave feeling enraged at anything I mean yeah, we can feel even enraged because the team has played badly you know that's part and parcel i'm a Charlton fan that's i'm used to it by now but leaving feeling enraged because of some form of discrimination some form of abuse it's just we don't want to do it anymore and it ha- and a week hasn't gone by in football this season that we haven't had that feeling which is just you know, we don't, no one wants that, and surely everyone else can attest to that and realise that they, they surely they don't want to be hearing about it either. That like you want to, surely they want to be hearing about the game and not everything else that's going on. So stop it, just stop doing it. Um,
0: I think I can clearly say, and I think I can speak for anyone who loves their football club, the football clubs themselves want to promote a family environment. They don't want discrimination in the stands. No club does. They don't want to be on the back papers of the newspaper seeing the negative. They don't want their own fans doing something wrong. And obviously, I'm definitely not saying it's all fans, it's always a minority of fans. Unfortunately, it's normally the same fans though, consistently. And luckily you do see more people now call that behavior out. But there's obviously people who are still too scared to do that because of the backlash. We've even had it with our own fans where I haven't said anything to the people direct because I'm a season ticket holder and they know where I sit and I could get backlash for the rest of the season. That sort of thing when it comes to reporting. So yeah, I, I'm, for me, it's about discrimination as a whole. Yes, we run an LGBTQ supporters group, but for me and all the work I do with Chelsea, I want to see discrimination from football gone. All of it. as I said, it's about, it should be about the game. That's it. That's what we all pay to go and see. It's not cheap to follow football. You know, we all, we all do it because we absolutely love the game. It is part of our lives. It's ingrained in us as football fans to go week in. And we live and breathe it. And if one person turns around to me and goes, it's just a game, I literally then want to slap them because it isn't just a game. <laughs> if you live it week in, week out, it really isn't just a game.
2: I see. One of the most important parts of my match day ritual is to go and get a pie ahead of the game at home baked which is a fantastic social enterprise next to anfield that i will always plug because they're also great allies to cop outs, by the way and the lgbt plus football movement yeah are you coming up to anfield this weekend
0: i wish i was i don't have a ticket i would be doing anything i would love to have been there i really i would have
2: i would have got you a pie
0: Yeah, (laughs) I wish I was going. I mean, I've got to admit, because of everything that's so heightened at the moment, because this conversation is obviously very much still in the media, and obviously you've done fantastic work with the club, I'm sure even you're thinking there's going to be just those one or two who want to go against the grain. And this weekend is the game for it. Chelsea are in your home, and... I've been to your ground plenty of times and I've stood opposite the cop. And for me, it's always amazing because I, I love football. I go and support my local town. I will go down to a fields on a Sunday morning. I watch pub side football. I don't care. I just love football. When you're stood opposite the cop and they're singing, you'll never walk alone. And they're holding the flags and the scarves. It's quite impressive. It is. But I know for a fact, if I was stood this weekend, if I was going and I was opposite that, that would be amazing. But as Paul said, it's then wrecked by that, those couple who then go, oh, that was all good, but let me sing this. So I will be sat there at 4.30 on Sunday. Some, yeah, Saturday. Sorry, I think off Saturday, isn't it? And the one thing I'm gonna, my ears going to be open to is, is a certain chant going to start? Wow. And I'm already thinking about that before. I should I should just be thinking, I wonder how good Lukaku's gonna be up against, you know, Van Dyke. Oh my god, that, that battle should be really, really interesting. But actually, part of my brain is like, oh God, we're playing Liverpool the weekends. And that's where my mindset is. And that's actually quite sad that my mindset is already there and not thinking of actually. This could be a really, this should be a really good game on, on Saturday evening. This should be a blinder of a football game. Two football sides really going at each other full pelt. This, this should be, and that should be what we're actually discussing. But in my head, I'm already, already, almost planning for the worse and pre-writing a statement in my head, along with what me and Paul could come up with and say, because it might be best, at, you know, Saturday morning we go ahead of the game. Let's remember we should just be talking and celebrating the football and nothing else.
2: Well, I know that LFC will be very prepared to take whatever necessary action they want to. And they've made it very clear that that champ has no space at Anfield um, or wherever we travel. The club have been absolutely unequivocal. You've got your manager, you've got the team and you've got the owners all being absolutely clear that they want to make sure that that champ has no space at Anfield or wherever we go to play. And to have stewards standing by if necessary, they've told me that that will be the case. So, you know, I, I am hopeful that even if some idiot does decide that actually my preference would be for fellow flat fans to deal with it quickly. Um, but if that's not able to be done, then there are powers available to the stewards uh, and the club, and I'm sure that they won't hesitate.
1: And we can only hope that that is the case. This of will actually be coming out on Sunday. So, we will, so by the time this podcast comes out, we'll know one way or another what's happened. Um, and it, and we know you'll know that whatever happens come Sunday, either Tracy or Paul will be absolutely raging with the result, or they might it might be a nil nil, and they might be far, they might be. Perfect. It's not
0: going to be a nil nil. Not a nil nil. you that much. It's not, not going to be. I went, a draw wouldn't surprise me, but it's not going to be a nil nil. That's definitely not happening.
2: It'll be a great game to watch, whatever happens, and I and know that, You know, at least you're coming to play football these days, not park buses.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. Jose's gone now. So those days those, days those, those, those behind us. So yes, thank God.
2: And yet we've shown um,
1: another wonderful example on actual, or uh, to be fair, I don't know if I'd go to today's witty banter at this point, but non-offensive banter, um, which you can be-
0: do, by the way. Everyone can use banter in the right context. Yeah. It's not difficult. Apparently to some it is. Yeah. but it really isn't difficult
1: um, yeah. Yeah. so yeah so just to end this do you guys want to quickly shout out um, all your, your supporters groups where can they find you on the social medias if you have such handles ha- ha- handy I'll let Paul go first
2: because I'm
0: thinking
2: <laughs> so copouts can be found on Twitter and Facebook uh, our Twitter handle is LFC underscore LGBT and on Facebook, if you just search for cop-outs, you will find us very quickly. And in fact, you can probably find us on Twitter just by searching cop-outs at the moment.
0: Yeah, I would say, yeah, because of Jurgen, you're you know, because yeah, I mean, you're quite popular to be able to find right now, in, in all honesty. Um, obviously, we're on um, Twitter and, and Instagram, it's just Chelsea Pride underscore, if you're using our tag to find us. Um, we only have, on Facebook, we are never closed group, so we do feel like we give um, some of our members a, a safer space. Um, so we can be found under Chelsea Pride, but um, yeah, we do tend to keep uh, one of our areas locked for people's uh, safety. Um, but yes, we're always, or I should say, I literally live, it seems, on Twitter with our group. Um, and our fantastic allies who support us 100% online. So um, come along, support us. And even if you're not supporters of Chelsea and Liverpool, if you look under who we follow, you'll find every single other LGBTQ supporters group um, that you can and then follow, depending on the, what team
2: you follow. And pr- Pride in football is the umbrella yeah. that unites us all yeah. and gives us opportunity to learn from each other to add value to each other's campaigns and to really move the dial in terms of discrimination and bigotry in football. It's got no space, no place at all for it. And we will see it out.
1: Yeah. And I think just as a well to say, if you looking down for LGBT sports for your team and you don't see your team, you've got the power to if you feel like you can to start this up because I'm sure both Tracy and Paul, when they first looked at it, I thought, "Oh God, I can't start up an LGBTQI supporters team, uh, supporters group." But now they have, and they've been running for however many years at this point. And the same with any every single group was started by a fan who didn't see themselves represented in their team. Um, and if you do wish to do that, reach out to any number of the. I can attest for ninety percent of the groups, and have met people from those groups and can honestly say they'll be more than happy to support you give you some advice tell you where to go tell you how they did it um we literally had rainbow blades on a couple of months ago and they gave us a bunch of tips on how to start up a lgbt support group from their own experience so if you want to do that go back and watch that or just go what a lot of people do is find the most local group to them and seek that out them for advice so if you're Mere Wall, seek out troll and if you're you know how whoever else I can't think of many that don't have one at this point, which is obviously a very good thing. Yeah, um, it's getting there,
0: it's, the, yeah. the numbers are definitely growing consistently.
1: Yeah, um, even in the last two years, I've seen a whole host of new people come in, um, all the way down to the non leaks now as well, yeah. which is really really positive to see. Um, but if you want to find football versus homophobia, first of all, on Twitter that is at feh tweets, um, on Instagram that's football underscore the underscore homophobia. And um, on Facebook, just type in Football Versus Homophobia or on Google, type in Football Versus Homophobia for our website. If you want to see where I'm kind of more based, I'm over at the youth panel that is at FEH Youth on both Twitter and Instagram. And then if you want another episode of this podcast, please follow, subscribe on whatever you're listening to us on every second sunday of the month we have a youth panel roundtable and every final sunday of the month we have a feh podcast um, so make sure you hit us up and we'll be i'll be here every, twice a month and then eventually Ankara and beatrice will come back and take the take this reins off me um, but regardless thank you very much for listening and thank you very much to tracy and paul for joining me
2: thanks for having us